and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is a show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am really excited to be joined by the fabulous Jonathan Freeman. Now, Jonathan is an experienced senior leader. He's committed and has been for many, many years to social justice. He was previously MD of Mosaic, HRH, the Prince of Wales Mentoring Charitable Initiative, which I'm sure you've all heard of, the Government Relations Director at Business in the Community, and before that, a member of the Senior Civil Service. He also serves as Vice Chair of Championing Social Care, a volunteer-led initiative which brings together a broad cross-section of the care sector leaders, focusing on delivering positive stories and initiatives um, for and about that sector, most notably the Care Sector Fundraising Ball. Um, Jonathan wears multiple different hats and started life um, in his formative days as a civil servant. And I'm really excited to learn not about how he started this journey um, just, but also how he's come to be where he is today because there's multiple different hats um, through to even working with some of the most well-known and recognizable uh, faces um, that we've seen in the public eye that will be hearing more about on today's show. Jonathan, welcome. Hi, lovely to see you, Leila. Thanks so much for, for being with us. And I guess to kickstart things, before we get into the nuts and bolts of talking about um, a plethora of different subjects around the impact of, of diversity and inclusion in the charitable sectors, I wonder whether you could talk to uh, the listeners and, and myself, again, because I always love to hear uh, about you, Jonathan, um, how you came to be where you are today in, in kind of some of the, the lofty heights and, and senior positions that, that you're in now. And, you know, I guess whether you always kind of saw that this would be the route that you would end up following from 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 being a from being a younger Jonathan, shall we say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're still um, young I'm, as well. So, <laughs> well, but it, it's interesting. You know, when I do, you know, I get sometimes asked to talk to young people about their careers and any advice, and you know, they always sort of say, "Is this what you dreamt you'd be?" And I was like, "Absolutely not. I had never." thought that this was going to be yeah, the sort of thing I'd be doing uh, when I yeah, left university like so many people I thought what on earth am I going to do so I wimped out on that and went and did a bit more studying and spent two years studying in Los Angeles which was just an absolutely amazing experience and transformative in very many ways and I had vague thoughts about being a lawyer or an academic or civil service. Civil service had always been an option for me. Um, came back from America in large part because I wanted to marry my now wife. Um, she was training for the law, so I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to have two lawyers uh, in the family. So I ended up joining the civil service. And, you know, I'm of an age where I thought that was it got my civil service career, was on the fast stream, loved it. Yeah, and I thought that, yeah, I would be, you know, wearing my nice pinstripe suit and walking into Whitehall for the rest of my days. Um, And that would be my career. And for the first 15, 16 years, that was it. I was working in the civil service, absolutely loved it. Did some incredible bits of work, met some incredible people learn huge amounts uh, and then 
decided that it was a good time for a variety of reasons to try and see life outside the Whitehall bubble um, and had the opportunity to you know, offer a couple of charities because I really wanted to still work on something that was connected to social justice uh, and ended up going to business in the community and part of that was government relations director so fascinating sort of to look back in on the world from outside um, but also supporting Mosaic which as you said was is is Royal Highness Prince of Wales's mentoring charity working with primarily with young Muslims across the UK and now internationally I'd been lucky enough when I was still in government to um, be able to put some money in when Mosaic was first established it's the first time I'd met the Prince of Wales which I don't mind saying was quite a nerve-wracking experience first off I was supposed to be supporting Mosaic for a year on secondment cut a long story short, ended up running it for six years. So I was involved sort of from start to finish until 10 years, took it into the Prince's Trust, um, where it now sits very happily, um, supporting even more young people. And now uh, I took the opportunity to move on, um, set up my own consultancy company, work for a whole range of fabulous charities, and then help set up the Caretech Foundation, which is what I'm now CEO of, um, which is a fantastic grant-making charity in the social care sector. Um, and we can maybe talk about some of its work moving forward. But And I also look after a, a private family's uh, grant-making foundation. So having two different angles, still rooted in what I think social justice causes, which I care passionately about, trustee of two charities, as you say, also vice chair of championing social care. I never once dreamt, and when I talk to my daughters about you know, their careers, or like I said, the young people, if I'm mentoring them or what have you, never once dreamt that my career would look like that. Yeah, and yeah, it's, I've followed opportunities, sometimes taking a bit of a punt, sometimes taking a deep breath. And so now I'm going to go for it just because it felt right in my heart. And every time, yeah, I've come up trumps and ended up doing some fabulous things. The underlying bit for me, though, is every, in every single one of those jobs, I hope and believe that, yeah, I'm making a positive difference that there's something more going in than I'm taking out. And that's really important for me. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for sharing, Jonathan. And it's really interestingly uh, kind of listening to you almost recall the various different steps because um, you're right, there is this interwoven theme, whether it was planned or premeditated or, or not, that is, um, you know, very much around that kind of that that core, that core center of wanting to do good and wanting to make a difference in the world. And you know, I know when we spoke last, you talked um, a lot about your time in America and, and how um, you know, really did get to see kind of the other side of other side of of life other side of the coin and it sounds very much like that then almost came into um you know the work that you did with the with the foundation with the muslim community and and looking at things and really kind of i suppose understanding different people's perspectives and, and how we need to really kind of embrace that in a more holistic fashion uh, absolutely i mean those there's two years in Los Angeles, you know, this is not 
the high life in Hollywood. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was, yeah, not exactly flush with money. I was a proper student um, scraping by. Uh, I was lucky enough to be on a scholarship, but I had to work as well on the side. Um, and yeah, so, uh, I talked to, yeah, I was, yeah, younger people and that experience, yeah, this was at a time where you know, we didn't have the internet. Phoning home was something you did at most once a week because it was so expensive for a few minutes at a time. So as an individual, yeah, I had to learn to, yeah, if something went wrong, I dealt with it. Yeah, and I, so I very much grew up in that. But also I just get, got to meet people that I would never ever have met. And yeah, I love playing rugby, still love rugby. And so I played in the rugby team there and got to meet some fantastic guys, one of whom, you know, we're still really good friends with. He's still living, he's now in Las Vegas, but from a Nicaraguan family, really, really um, modest family, you know, living in a, you know, in South Central Los Angeles. And for my second year, he said, look, we've got a room, do you want to come and live with us? good for them financially it was good for me financially um so I got to spend a whole year living in south central Los Angeles which uh, as some will know is um quite a tough neighborhood and especially was in the early 90s this is uh, just I was there at the time of the Rodney King uh, killing by the police by the LAPD horrendous horrendous uh, episode I came back literally a week before the riots um and that was my neighborhood that was my community that had embraced me that was basically up in flames and you could see it was going to happen you could see the just the receiving resentment of you know the community um yeah i would walk out of the door and regularly see my black neighbors yeah on the ground with LAPD pointing guns at their head. Yeah. Uh, strangely enough, that never happened to me as a white guy. And I think it would have taken someone pretty stupid not to have realised, yeah, that there was something pretty badly going on. Yeah, me and my mate, when we he would drive me around Nicaraguan, he would get pulled over all the time by the police. If I went with another white friend, it just wouldn't happen. And it was so, so blatant. And I, I learned so much there about, yeah, being a minority myself, but yeah, let's face it, a relatively privileged one, but of just quite what it could be like day in, day out for those from a minority. And yeah, that really stuck with me, you know, way before, yeah, others had, yeah, perhaps, certain, certainly that's not true, obviously, Civil rights and those movements have been with us quite rightly for decades. But I think it's fair to say that when I came back from, you know, living in LA, the sort of experiences and the narrative that was clearly developing there just hadn't yet developed here in the UK. And we had a long, long way to go. Um, and yeah, and I think that, that stuff stayed with me because it was very personal. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And how did that make you feel, Jonathan? Because it is so insightful hearing how you almost saw it from completely another lens. And, you know, as you then have, have kind of said, you know, this must, I'm sure, have had a profound impact into the other avenues of what you now have gone on to do, because this is very much, you know, about, um, you know, harnessing, you know, the, the the power and the force for good to to actually drive change, because you'll have seen that right across over the last decade since you were there. Yeah, I mean, look, let's, I've, I've talked about this to various people and people take it in different ways. Thankfully now, just the very notion of, yeah, bias is understood. That people recognise we carry those unconscious biases and we need to understand those and deal with them and react and respond appropriately. Um, like many people, I'm not saying at all that I'm unique. Yeah, the experiences that I had made me realised just quite my own biases. I thought I was quite a right-on, yeah, liberal guy that understood about, yeah, class and prejudice and discrimination. And I quickly learned that actually I had to do an awful lot of learning myself. And so there was one particular episode, and we've talked about this, I think, before. Um, I was standing at the end of... Uh, the block that I lived on uh, in LA uh, and I was waiting to to go and see a friend and I was standing there it was dark late mid-evening something like that and this really big guy came up to me and he's walking up to me and I was thinking okay I'm on my own this guy is yeah, pretty damn big. Maybe this is just my time for my LA mugging that everyone had told me, yeah, you're going, going to experience at some point, sadly. Yeah, this is the middle of gangland at the time. Thankfully, the gangs have been significantly reduced, but this was quite a, quite a tough time. So I, I physically braced, ready to yeah, be attacked. And uh, the guy said, what are you doing? And I went, I'm waiting for a bus, which made me very strange. Yeah, in, in Los Angeles, yeah, uh, everyone had their own car, um, and he's like, "You're waiting for a bus? Don't be stupid. Have twenty bucks, get yourself a cab." I was like, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I know you. Yeah, you live on our block. I mean, I was the only white guy living with the only Hispanic family on entirely black block." Yes. You're on my block. We look after you. Don't be stupid. Go and get a taxi. It's not safe out here. And yeah, obviously the flood of relief, but it was just like, oh, you idiot. To myself, what an idiot. Everything about that episode was down to my unconscious bias. And so, and I didn't call it that at the time, but it just really made me look at myself again and just think yeah I can't ever react like that so unfairly um I say that yeah that particular incident is one that has really stayed with me so I have been very lucky to be in situations for the rest of my career where hopefully I can make a difference to those who 
might suffer from those unconscious biases or might have you know their frustration yeah their opportunities frustrated as a result of those sort of biases and if I'm able to to work with those and to be in a position to try and address some of that that's a, a huge privilege um, and I don't think that that guy the 25 30 years ago will realize quite how that stuck with me um, that is just such an incredible story and, and what I love about speaking with you Jonathan is that you are so willing to be vulnerable and candid about experiences um, I think there's a huge learning lesson from that for you know I guess not only um, everyone who is listening here but for everyone who who may be male who may be white that thinks hey hang on a minute you know one is never a comfortable situation or comfortable thing to talk about race and bias and all this kind of business but you know two you absolutely can utilize that and make a difference which is exactly what you then went on to do throughout the rest of the career in many different guises and so I guess this is kind of a perfect segue in a way to then um, you know talk a little bit about some of the more recent things that you have done and I know um, you know we'd mentioned before almost you know seeing what has happened over these you know um, number of decades from from your perspective and almost how you know charities which is very much uh, you know a lot of the work that you're involved in uh, to this day and of course social care um, you know how that has kind of really had um, and is having more of a pretty different yet can have a very profound impact if you know if driven in the right way shall we say yeah I mean I guess like you know I did go into government and I you know government's got a huge role to play about setting framework and understandings and you know creating the the, the macro conditions for improvement and but it was being much closer being able to see at first hand the impact of the change that you can deliver was the thing that really got me hooked about the charitable sector and in particular mosaic you know i had been working in government on related issues around yeah, Muslim communities and how government was trying to work with them. Uh, not very well is probably the answer, but I could see that, yeah, the, the mosaic was a very, very simple premise around mentoring and just saying there are countless examples of individuals from particularly Muslim minority communities, but other communities who are incredible role models, but whom we don't see and for whom, you know, young people growing up in those communities just don't get access to and, you know, who need that inspiration, who need that time and investment from those who have been blessed in, you know, breaking through and making success to help them on that journey and give them that encouragement. And yeah, like, yeah, in any organization, you have rubbish days where you're bogged down with, yeah, writing a plan or fundraising or whatever the drudge that they have in any job. And I always used to say to my team, right, 
yeah, I need my battery charging, get me out and yeah, let's go and see some of the programs. Let's go into one of the schools and see the mentors working with those young people or indeed going into a prison and seeing some of that sort of stuff. And it, it genuinely was like having, yeah, a, a battery charger and actually say, this is why we're doing it. This is the difference. And I think that's at its best what the charity sector can do. It can really create exciting, really high impact change that can look quite modest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm but actually can be incredibly profound and deal with the stuff that sometimes business can't and sometimes government can't. One of my favourite moments was with my uh, board, which a fantastic board. I mean, these people were incredible and a lot of whom were from incredibly successful business backgrounds and learned huge amounts from them. But we were having a a gentle disagreement about how we were operating and the business model, what have you. Um, one of my trustees just turned around to some of these, uh, some of her colleague uh, advisory board members went, guys, and I'm afraid it was the guys that were being the sort of rather challenging ones. If this was so easy, you would be doing it by now and turning a profit. Yeah, this is... This is big long-term change and it's difficult. So yeah, you've got to recalibrate your approach to do that sort of stuff. And I think that's, yeah, for me, part of the yeah fantastic bits of working in the charity sector is you're dealing with the stuff that very often ministers put in the too difficult, yeah, file. Mm-hmm. And yeah, even when I was working with, um, his Royal Highness, there was once a comment, um, which at the time I thought, oh no, he's really disappointed. He went, yeah, Jonathan, I've learned that, yeah, no meaningful change happens in less than 10 years. And I thought, oh gosh, he really thinks that we haven't made a difference, but actually was then, we went on to be very positive about it. But then my reflection was actually, yes, he's right. And you know what? I never, ever remember any government minister saying that to me. And that planning horizon, yeah, you're lucky to get it with monarchy, but also you can have it with charities that recognises that if you're really going to make a difference on this stuff, it's a long, old journey. Mm-hmm. This is so interesting. I'm going to pick up on one of the things that you said, <laughs> if you don't mind, perhaps with, and, you know, in particular, it's, especially in the current climate, it has been frustrating of late, sometimes watching the pace of change happen. That said, it's not taking away all of the great things that are happening, um, you know, yep. but on on the, you know, perhaps, you know, government office or, or in this office where things like this and initiatives are being, being discussed, do you think a big part of the problem is that they don't have that kind of that real lived experience? So what you talked about so beautifully, not only with kind of the Muslim community and obviously with your friends out in, in kind of um, down downtown LA is actually experiencing that boots on the ground that physical lived real experience and not fully understanding that you know there's kind of almost a a lack of connectivity yeah I mean if I'm honest I think it's in government a heck of a lot better than it was certainly than in my day I think the civil service has really woken up to to that and the efforts that they've made 
yeah, in terms of making the civil service more accessible to those minorities, um, those from lower socioeconomic groups. I mean, that's the stuff that we just didn't do at the time, and that's that's to, in some extent to our shame. But um, so I think that is getting better, uh, if I'm honest. But I think it, it is always difficult when you are, yeah, removed in a way that government is, and uh, the more you can close that gap, yeah, and not just listen to those voices, but engage those people in the decision-making and trust communities more to actually, you know, they normally know some of their, you know, the majority of the answers of what's needed and they just need a help to, to know how to, to frame that and to build that change. But pretty much in every organisation that I've been involved with, the real change comes from yeah, closing the the gap between yeah the beneficiaries yeah you know, and, and the the top of the organisation and just even thinking about it differently and actually saying this is a common cause we all want to work together how do we do we do that and it yeah you, know, you can get hung up even there you can get hung up on some really silly discussions about you know why you do particular forms of monitoring yeah and also is that going to guide how we recruit our next person by what have you gender or sexuality what I mean just like no no but if you don't even know yeah how how can you yeah how can you understand whether we are really relevant and we do really understand that and yeah I think just to keep on thinking about that keep on closing the gap is where you make a real difference it's not an either or though it's just about you know trying not to be and i'm conscious i can be that way sometimes but not being this isn't about being patronizing and paternalistic about it it's actually saying if you really care about the individuals that you say you care about and that you're motivated to set up charities what have you to support why on earth wouldn't you work with them why wouldn't you embrace their viewpoint and actually bring that right into the heart of the organization. Yeah. In the same way that, you know, I said, yeah, I recharge my batteries by going to visit the projects. It, a lot of it was so I could talk directly. What are we doing right? What is working for you? What is making a difference? And in all the work I do, it's actually making sure you've, you've got that closeness. You know, we give grants out. It'd be really simple just to sit there very grandly beneficently writing checks out but no actually that's not what we want to do it's, it's about partnership it's about seeing it on the ground involving those organizations properly and the communities they serve properly that that makes absolute sense and i think it's i mean it's interesting to see what's happened certainly with a lot of notable i know that you mentioned there obviously uh, his royal highness but some of the the, the well-known faces you know prince harry's new Meghan markles and what have you are just doing absolutely um kind of epic things in terms of um you know supporting the wider good and really kind of getting um you know down into the actual depths of the community to really seek the heart of the problem which is i i, I think what you're saying 
saying there. Do you yeah. think that the 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 kind of the, the, the charity sectors and the way that charities will operate, really kind of putting this, you know, this true and authentic voice at the heart of what they do, do you think that will continue? Do you think there are, um, you know, I guess other other changes afoot for, for charities to take off note of in order to, um, you know, really make an actual long-term sustainable impact? I mean, the, the short answer is it has to carry on. Yeah, we're, we're just starting to get to, to that level of understanding of how important it is. But we, I think the sector as a whole has got to go, you know, got a long way to go yet. I know this probably won't make me any friends, but... Um, one of the things I have been shocked by in the last sort of 10 years of working in the charity sector is with some, I mean, I've met some of the most brilliant people and most wonderful people ever doing incredible stuff, but I have seen more often than you would imagine those who think that because they are doing good, the way in which it is done isn't as important. And I, yeah, it doesn't work for me. I have to be able to look myself in the mirror at the end of the day and know that I've behaved in and I hope acted in a way that I can be proud of. And I think just because you are engaged in a noble cause, it's sounding a bit grand, but doesn't excuse the way in which you do it. And actually, yeah, I think that is something that the sector needs to, to guard against, that actually our personal behaviours and how we run our organisations and how we work with our people and our teams are just as important um, as, you know, the, the means do not justify the ends. And I have written about that before. But more generally, I think we have been seeing a real move to sort of blurring of the boundaries between charity sector, the business sector, the public sector, yeah, you asked me right at the outset, did I expect my career to be like this? No, I thought I was just going to sit in a nice central government public sector and do it that way. Now I've had the, the joy of yeah, doing that, but working in the charity sector and indeed yeah, working with lots of other businesses and running my own company and seeing that actually the vast majority of people are trying to do good, um, whatever sector they're in. There's so much that we can learn from, from each other to do a better job. One of my, uh, it was actually lovely when I moved into the charity sector. It was, you know, lovely to think that actually a lot of the skills that I'd learned from being in the civil service could transfer over. So, yeah, I genuinely was a bit nervous. You know, could I really go and run a charity? What not? But actually the skills moved across. So it's like, oh, okay, so we're not, yeah, so very different. But then there's some stuff I've learned, which is fantastic. And one of the nicest moments I had quite early on was um, a very demanding donor. Um, he's absolutely amazing uh, entrepreneur that had achieved incredible stuff. I got a comment back, not directly, but indirectly. Um, and I have to remind you my favourite quote by a friend of mine, but um, came back sort of saying, oh, you know what? If the civil service is like Jonathan, they must be better than I thought which is a very backhanded compliment, but it was really like, ah, okay, this is a guy who makes millions suddenly realising that actually the civil service can be quite good. Um, and similarly, yeah, civil service going, oh, actually these business people. So I think fusing that together and looking at different approaches, sometimes I get quite cross. I mean, impact investment is 
very much the flavour of the day at the moment. Oh no! Feel uh, free to many. get cross. I actually quite like it sometimes because I think it's I think it's a good thing that we don't sit here and kind of we, we address and challenge different subjects and don't simply pay lip service to things because it's when people aren't candidates it's very hard to actually move forward and really know what to do. But no, sorry, uh, I interrupted you. About, that. I mean, it's got to be about honest conversation. Uh, I think impact investment can do incredible stuff, and I think it's really, really, yeah, absolutely something I'm up for but actually too often it's because grant makers haven't done it very well yeah yeah how on earth you can spend some of the money that some donors some grant makers give without really saying okay what's the difference in the world there's no point if you spend millions on a project but you can't see the difference it's made you might feel good but so what and so that's yeah, so yes, absolutely, you can learn some nice fancy ways of doing it and and that generally when well applied can do it, but yeah, just because it's from one sector doesn't make it better than the other, I guess what is all I'm trying to say, and we just need to keep on learning from each other and yeah, if there is an approach that works in one sector, let's try it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, at the risk of saying I concur too much, you know I absolutely do, because obviously, and I'd love to ask yeah. your advice offline as well about the recent Mackenzie Dallas Packer review that we've launched, because um, that was exactly it. When we had this, when I had this kind of this brainchild, you know, what was it, eight months ago, and, um, you know, shoestring budgets and all that kind of thing, it was like, well, you know, we obviously want to do good. And as you alluded to before the vast majority of people you know we do believe have got a good heart and a good soul and want to do the yep. right thing but to be data and geeky about it we have to somehow move the needle and be able to prove it and look at how we can actually push that through you know some sometimes in an enjoyable way and sometimes in a not so enjoyable way um you know but at least we can track it uh, year on year to actually watch that moving because you know, it's it's what's the point otherwise? And I mean, interestingly, we looked at the so we did look at the NHS because we wanted to compare how the NHS and the public sector, you know, worked in comparison to a lot of the other large organisations. You know, even from you know you know the co-op through to NatWest and other yeah. large businesses that took part. And we obviously wanted to recognise this this kind of this this year of COVID. You know, but some of the learnings that have have taken place and some of the you know the recommendations and the pieces of data and insight that come out of that they are from completely completely different worlds and as you said in in your kind of little impression that made me chuckle before it's kind of oh you know these 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 you know these these chaps or these girls aren't too bad from this sector and oh actually um you know that they aren't too bad either um it's that diversity of sort thought that diversity of sector that all does make a difference does it matter how or why or where we we take those learnings from as long as it's actually moving um moving the needle yeah, and, and look, even quite recently, and moving into the social care sector and working in that sector now, but yeah, still in a charity. Yeah. Private sector partners like you know CareTech PLC that funds our foundation are delivering public services. And I know that there are many people that think that just shouldn't happen. But actually what I have seen, and I also sit, I'm a trustee of a charity provider of care services as well. So actually, I've seen just outstanding care 
more than that, love for those that are in that care by the staff delivered an exceptionally high quality. And, you know, I sometimes sort of sit there in the charity where I think we also deliver fantastic services, but we look at the bottom line every trustee meeting, yeah? The difference is that in the charity, we call it our operating surplus, whereas in the company, they'll call it that profit. But yeah, at the end of the day, you've got to make the numbers stack up. Um, yeah, CareTech PLC does not need to give its foundation, us, 2.5% of its profits. But it chooses to do that because it you know, wants to make even more of a social impact. But I guess my point is none of us have got a monopoly on uh, goodness. Yeah, we've, we're all, as you, yeah, we've both said, trying to make a positive difference and in lots of different ways. So let's not get too hidebound by how we're doing it. But And just reflecting, you can achieve good in so very, very many different ways. And, you know, I just find this sort of instinctive, oh, it can't be right because you're making money out of it. Yeah. I just find it a curious attitude when actually what really cares is are individuals in, in this case in the social care sector getting yeah the best possible care they can at a at a reasonable cost yeah and at a fair cost to the state and I've seen yeah across the three different sectors actually private providers can stand up tall in that yeah debate Jonathan we could do another whole podcast on that on that very subject won't. of can yeah. it be good if you're making money out of it because I anyway my opinions on that um are, I don't think the two at all are kind of mutually exclusive I mean you absolutely can you can make money and you can do a great thing I really I've never fully understood that argument but again I'm sure there'd be many people that would perhaps disagree with me but that is a great yeah, debate that we could it, have I'll, uh, I'll be honest <laughs> personally I've gone on a journey on that and it's actually, but it's seeing it firsthand that's made me, yeah, understand that much better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. That's a, a one it's, for another day. No, it is. It's, it's, it's a really good debate that we could have, actually. I have an idea for, for future episodes, Jonathan, so I'll okay. pick that up with you again later. Um, before we run out of time today um, and kind of do a summary of, of some of the discussion points, in classic true to form, we always do a little lightning round kind of at the end. And sure. so I'll ask you just a couple of questions and I'll give you 30 seconds to answer each of the questions. So hardest one first, um, what's your secret to success? And I love this question because everyone always says different things. Uh, the, surrounding myself with brilliance, it was a, and I know because I've given that before, but actually it's building that team around me, filling the gaps I don't have, challenge me when I don't have, I, nothing makes me more proud than seeing people that have been part of my team going on to uh, more yeah succeed in a way I haven't and to see them now in incredibly grand positions if I've been part of that journey that's fantastic so yeah absolutely surround yourself with brilliance fantastic answer and what about what about your biggest inspiration in your career could be personal could be someone that you've met along life's path yeah i'm look, i've been blessed with 
you know, working with and for some incredible people. I hope and I've learned lots from them. It never to be in many ways, my, my now late father just achieved a huge amount. Interestingly, it, it came at a big price for him personally. So I, in terms of my inspiration, made me realise that, yeah, at the end of the day, however much you enjoy your job, it is only a job and it's what, what you can do with that that's more important. Um, that's probably sort of, that's, that's a horrible thing to say, but perhaps a negative thing that I learned from my father. Um, I don't think I ever quite understood that. Um, but actually, above all, what's the, the people have inspired me more are the people that I have had the privilege to meet through the work we do. Yeah, the, yeah I went to Kenya 18, a year ago and seeing some of the kids growing up in the shanty towns and the, the resilience that they were showing um, some of the young people we've met and some I'm still in contact with through Mosaic. Yeah, they're the ones that have really, really inspired me that have achieved so much with so little. Great answer. Uh, but I think also... Incredibly humbling. Hmm, I, absolutely. I, um, well, I won't go into it now, but went out to, to, to Uganda for, for, for a month, you know, very similar. Um, and wider Maharashtra in India. And you kind of, you just, it puts things into context, doesn't it? Um, yeah, but, absolutely. I mean, two, two great examples. And I think it is a great example, actually, from your late father. Because I think, you know, probably what, what work was, was like back in the day is very different in a way to what it is now. And those blurred lines between both work and, and, and personal um, and yeah. what that actually means is, uh, well, they're, 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 they're starting to become more, more like one, really, aren't they? And so, actually, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a fair old point that your, your, your late dad made. And finally... I, I wonder if you could, if you could go back in time, let's say to round about the time when you're you're in LA or, or going to to go to LA and have perhaps some some preconceived notions as to what it might be like. What advice would you give to your younger self or someone who is in a similar position or wondering what they're going to do next? Just be curious. Take the time to in, enjoy that experience, to find out more, to take advantage. Yeah, you never know yeah, if you're ever going to get that again. Actually, yeah, so even back to the, the Kenya thing, the first time I, I got to go to Kenya with government on a work thing, and although I'd had an offer, I just didn't bother to organise some extra time. I now try and always make sure whenever I get to go to a new country or a new place that I try and always build in, even if it's only half a day or a day, some time to try and understand it a bit more. Obviously, travelling's not happening so much these days. But again, it's just about that being curious because you just never know if you're going to be able to get back to those places and see those people and meet those people. So just... just just soak it all up and then just just go with the flow just make the most of it mm -hmm. yeah and you're going to make some mistakes and so what 
Thank you so much, Jonathan, for, for joining me today. I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you. And um, I normally always do a little summary at the end. And um, whether this is summary or, or whether it's not, I'm not sure. But it's just it's coming to me and has done throughout the, the entire kind of course of the podcast. And it's a quote that a friend of mine mentioned to me recently. And I just thought, wow, that is so about experience. And, you know, one thing that I've really taken away from this podcast speaking with you, Jonathan, is the importance of the genuine real experience and getting as close to you know not only the grassroots level as you possibly can but doing your best to really empathize and and kind of you know sometimes be vulnerable frankly to find out about how others you know operate and how their world is basically um but that 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 quote is that you never really understand a person until you consider things from his or her Point of view, and that's the quote from uh, "To Kill a Mockingbird," uh, which I'm sure you've heard, where Atticus tells Scout in fabulous, um, fabulous yeah. book, yeah. Isn't it? And it just, it was just, I, I love that from when Shoku, uh, actually Shoku from the BBC, if she is listening, you know, said this at one of our recent summits. And I just absolutely love that because it is just that experience. And it was ringing so true when every single part of the conversation we had, it always comes back to that experience. So... And the only, I'm just going to say the flip side of that, because I absolutely agree. The flip side, I'll, I'll trade a quote with you, and I said I'd mention this. Bushra Nazir, who was the first Muslim woman head teacher of a state comprehensive, and she was a big Mosaic supporter. She's absolutely fabulous. And we got her to do a, a leadership uh, speech to our, the international program we once went. And she, the quote she left us with, and this one's really stuck with me, is always remember what people will say about you when you've left the room. And so the flip side of being close to it is just thinking, yeah, it is like you said about being genuine and authentic, mm -hmm. and we all use those words, but just like, just think what people are going to be saying about you when you've left the room and what is it you want them to say. Um, that, that, one stuck, that stuck with me. Bush was incredible. You, should, you must interview her. Yes, no, I would love to. Please do introduce me. Uh, yeah. That that would be wonderful. And that is that is an absolutely. It's another fantastic quote. I've I could actually. I mean, I love quotes. I, I'm one of those lovers of, of quotes and books and and all great things like that. And I'm already thinking of another. I want to repeat back to you, and I could quite happily be here all evening. So I'll do it very quickly. But, but there's. The one where, um, you know, kind of people, people never, never, never remember, sorry, should I say what you say or what you did, but they always remember how you made them feel it is one that I, yeah, I, I love. Yeah. It's, yeah. um, Anyhow, I must wrap things up because I'm conscious more so that you have three girls and your other half as well to, to go and tend to, plus plus exactly. the dog as well. Um, but Jonathan, <laughs> as ever, it's been an absolute joy speaking with you. And if you're if you're tuning into part of this episode and you've missed anything at all, don't worry. Um, you can catch up with everything on demand. The Diverse and Inclusive Leaders podcast show is available on Apple, Spotify, any of your favourite uh, podcast apps. We'll put a link in there to Jonathan and all of the great stuff that he is doing uh, those many hats so do feel free to reach out and we'll also be putting into the podcast show notes a summary of some of the key learning lessons from today uh, in addition so so don't worry if you've missed anything we will look forward to seeing you again very very soon and in the meanwhile check us out or download for free at www.dialglobal.org forward slash podcast thanks again jonathan and see you soon